Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Through Their Eyes podcast, a podcast where we get a chance to look at the world and the church through the eyes of those around us. I'm your host, Caleb Rutherford. And I'm your host, Michael Clark. And we are so grateful that you're with us today for episode number three of the Through Their Eyes podcast. Again, uh, something that is a part of our summer season content here at the Scattered Abroad Network. As Michael has stated before, uh, we're not doing our normal episodes where we have one every day, but rather we're giving our hosts an opportunity to have some time off to enjoy their families, enjoy their summer activities. Um, but Michael and I have decided we're going to put out this content and hopefully it has been a blessing to your life for the first couple of weeks. We're looking forward to everything that we have coming up. Uh, but today we're especially thankful for this episode. But before we get to our guests, just want to remind you of all of our social media. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All of those links are in our show notes below as well as our email address. You can email us with any questions or comments or anything like that that you might have. And also one of the most helpful things that you can do for us is on whatever platform it is that you listen, please give us a rating or review. And that's certainly would be beneficial to us, this particular podcast, and our network in general. So if you have an opportunity, uh, please remember to do that. Again, we're grateful to have a guest on our show today, Brother Kevin Rutherford. You may recognize the last name, uh, but Dad, appreciate you being on the show today. Happy to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. I don't. I, it's so weird, Michael. You probably feel the same way. When you like introduce your dad yeah. or talk to him in a public like fashion, do you call him Dad? I do. In fact, he Kevin and my dad did a joint podcast with me <laughs> and I said to the to the audience on the one with my dad, I said, I'm just gonna call you dad. So yeah. y'all well, just understand he's well, dad to me. Well that that's probably what I'll do. I'll just call you dad because it feels weird calling you <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> dad sounds good to me. Okay. Sounds good. Well, Dad, <laughs> why don't you uh go ahead and give our listeners a little bit of, of an idea of who you are and uh, some of the things that you do. Well, I'm currently working with the Warner Chapel Church of Christ in Clemens, North Carolina. And that's close to Winston-Salem. Been there about four years and been busily involved in working as a minister there, doing preaching, teaching, working now with uh, Mike Glenn there, and he's doing some of the preaching also. Uh, and he is there also for the purpose of uh, restarting the School of Preaching, North Carolina School of Biblical Studies, that had started there in the year 2006. We recently lost our associate and youth minister, <laughs> that was Caleb. Looks <laughs> away. Caleb did an excellent job while he was there, and many of the members continue to say things about him and the work that he did. And and um, we uh, we do miss him, but uh, we press on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you know, we're we're talking today about changing two letters in abortion, and kind of going through the idea of adoption. That's that's the main discussion we're having today and people may not know this especially if they've never gotten to see a, a family photo <laughs> right. but uh, Caleb was adopted and so many people today when we talk about abortion the arguments that are made against abortion they will jump out and say as their main argument well just adopt just adopt you know if you're so against abortion why don't you put your money where your mouth is and adopt because for a lot of people and I can understand why this would be kind of a snippety remark. Abortion has been a straw man argument for a lot of people. It's a, this is what you should do. Okay, so do it. Well, I can't do it. Well, then why are you going to make me do it? And so when we look at that argument, the Rutherford family, they did adopt. They, they did decide to go after a child that they wanted to have in their life and to be a part of their family. And so can you explain the story behind Caleb's adoption and the process that kind of was in, involved in that? Oh, absolutely. When my wife and I decided that we wanted to adopt, and it was her idea first, we began to look into the various options. And we certainly 
came to appreciate all of those mothers who had chosen to uh, give their children up for adoption so that they could be taken care of by a family if they believed they couldn't take care of the child. And we thought that was just a, a noble decision, especially compared to the opposite of that, which would be to have the baby aborted. And so we looked into various options for that, and we found that a lot of the stateside processes were uh, very long. And uh, one of the ones that we looked at for a stateside adoption uh, was going to take about four years. And uh, we wanted something a little uh, little quicker than that. And, and the more we looked into it, the more we realized that uh, the Korean program was a program that was well-established, very efficient, uh, worked very, very well. And we were more than happy to, to work through uh, a Children's Home Society of Minnesota in order to adopt through South Korea. And on the 4th of July, our son came home to us. Hmm. Y'all, um, y'all tell a story. I used to think um, that all the fireworks were for me because <laughs> 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 it was on the 4th of July. I was just yeah. that important. <laughs> so how, well, how disappointed were you the exactly. next year? <laughs> Apparently people thought the country of America was more important than me. <laughs> That, that is true. For years, of course, we recognized his homecoming day on the 4th of July because that's when he came to the United States of America. He was six months old when he came home, and he began to associate the fireworks and the parades with his homecoming day. And so in, in his mind, when he was about three, four years old, he, he talked about the fireworks and such that were there all over the place for his uh, his homecoming day. And of course, we were very, very amused. I, I don't know exactly how he felt. He may not remember uh, uh, when remember. when we let him down and said, well, actually, uh, it's the birth of the country <laughs> that they're celebrating with, the, with not, the fireworks. Not necessarily me, but oh well. You know, adoption obviously is a beautiful thing because um, it is, like we've talked about already, an alternative. Um, to this idea of abortion. And obviously we know that life and birth um, and um, just a, a soul coming into this world is such a beautiful thing. Um, and yet there are so many people in our world and it's such a highly debated topic. Um, ever since really 1973 in the Roe v. Wade case, it's been such a highly debated topic. Why do so many people choose abortion? Why is that such uh, something that people just, just so, so quickly want to just go to um, or at least even argue for, um, even if they themselves would not have one um, or if they themselves have not even had one at all? Why is, it, why, why is abortion something that so many people choose? Well, people are complicated, and every situation is going to be different. And so you'd have to look at each situation individually to really know the answer to that question. But there are a lot of things involved. You have, for some, just a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of abortion. They don't really fully grasp the fact that they're taking a life when they choose to give up their child in the abortion process. Uh, and I know that uh, many have read the book Unplanned, mm -hmm. and in that you can see the story of a woman who worked in an abortion clinic and did not really fully understand what, what it was. She knew what it was, but didn't fully grasp it until sure. she witnessed one. And she saw the, uh, the, the baby being murdered. Uh, I don't know that we really want to describe some of the processes that are used in aborting babies uh, over the podcast, but they're very brutal. Uh, they're very harsh. And the baby is in pain. 
And uh, these are just cruel and miserable things that are done to these children. They're tortured as they're killed. Uh, now, most women who would choose to abort their babies probably don't even know that. And they've believed the lie that, it, you know, it, it's just tissue. Right. Mm. It's not really a life. In fact, there are some medical ethics philosophers that will say this. It's not murder unless personhood has been granted to the individual. And no individual has personhood until they are born. Thus, it is not a person, and you can kill it. Some have gone so far as to say recently that we shouldn't really even consider them to have personhood until they can have some sort of understanding of of who they are and their place in the world. And the idea behind that is, well, sometimes maybe parents need to kill them within the, the first few months of their, their lives as well. And so it just gets worse. <laughs> but a lot of this is ignorance. And on the part of some of the mothers, they just really don't fully understand what they're doing. Maybe some of it's fear, some of it's pressure, different things like that. And we love all the mothers that have gone through abortion or have had abortions. And we want them to know that there is love and mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness for them if they will come to the Lord humbly on his terms. And so we want them to know we love them and we recognize their value, but we want people to realize that abortion is evil. It is sinful. It is wrong. It is murder. So a lot of it, I think, is, is ignorance. I think a lot of it is on the part of some uh, just wickedness. It's evil. There are those that have various motives for killing these babies. Uh, sometimes those motives may include greed, sometimes power. From a political and philosophical standpoint, there are issues behind it, such as population control and things such as that. So it's a very deep subject, and every individual case could be different, and you'd have to talk to the person involved. And, of course, our goal would be to love those that are involved but help them to understand that this should not be done. This is wrong. This is sad. It's a tragedy. It's a, uh, it's a violence that's so deep and dark, and, and it taints the soul of a nation and, and really our world, 125,000 abortions every day in the world globally, according to the right. World Health Organization. Yeah, it's uh, – well, I, and I meant to uh, mention this right at the beginning of the podcast, but I think it's important that you brought this up that – I mean, if there's someone who's listening who has had an abortion, um, this is us by no no means um, of trying to slam you or, you know, make you like make you feel like we're, we hate you or we just dislike you or anything like that because we don't. We love the person just as God loves the person. But also, in Pro- I mean, we know in Proverbs chapter six that it, hands that shed innocent blood, the act of killing innocent life um, is an abomination to God. It's something that he hates. So he hates the sin and yet not the one who has committed the sin. He still has that love for them, um, even though he hates what they've done and the actions that they've done. Um, but and but I think one of the things that's interesting, and my, I think I heard Michael say this first a while back. He said that when you look at an abortion, it's in a lot of cases, it's like a convenient murder. It is, it's, it's a way for them to get rid of the child because in, in some cases it's an unwanted pregnancy. They didn't want it in, in the first place. Um, and so they tried to do that to get rid of it so that it doesn't change the way that their lives go. They have this plan for their life. They have things they want to do, goals they want to accomplish. And they assume that 
when a child comes into the picture that obviously, yes, their lives will change and they drastically change as it does for anyone who has a child. But in their minds is it changes it to the point to where they don't want the child at all because they don't want their lives to change. They want to still have the same amount of money and the same amount of free time, the same amount of things that they want to do in this life. And when that child comes into the picture and comes into play, then it will completely change it. And they don't want that. And so aborting it, I guess in their minds is the next best thing. It's the easiest thing for them to do. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I asked this question to my congregation a couple of months ago in a sermon. I said, would you say that the American country is on the same level as the children of Israel, or have we surpassed even their wickedness? And I let that sit for a second, because we all would agree that Israel had a lot of problems morally, religiously, spiritually. And yet, I don't really remember reading about in the Bible the Israelites' mass genocide of children on a regular daily basis and how this was a continual thing. I mean, there, there are website counters that uptick how many children are killed a day, right. and it's become so normal. And I said, how can, we, how can we as Christians endorse this, whether through a political candidate, whether through uh, political views that we may hold? How can we say that that's okay? And I love what Brother Kevin mentioned where he talked about the fact that now they're even going as far as saying, well, maybe you need to wait until they know, you know, they know their personhood and their place in the world. How far does that go? Because it all starts somewhere. And I mean, eventually, are we going to hear, well, until they're really old enough to balance a checkbook? I mean, how, how far do we take it? Because right. a human life, it used to be once they were born, even with the argument of abortion, you couldn't touch them. But then it started to be that even certain minutes after the birth or certain times after uh, they could be able to abort the baby and take care of that child's and take its life away. And now we're getting to a point where we, we're increasing it by a few months after birth. And so the, the question becomes, where will it stop? Because, and, and how much fear will children have to live in, so to speak, not knowing how long do they have before they're not touchable anymore? And the thing that is so sad to me is we would, we would take somebody, most people, that was found beating their child at three months old. We would take them behind the woodshed and we would give them a piece of our own mind. And yet, now we have people arguing that someone could take their baby to a doctor and let that doctor kill their child at three months old. And that might still be okay because, like you mentioned, they don't really know that they're a person yet. They haven't really figured out their place in society, and therefore, they don't have value. As long as they're a professional, quote-unquote, with scrubs, it makes it, you know, yeah. for some reason, it makes it a completely different scenario and situation. Yeah, of course, we're not at that point yet. <clears throat> right. That is just what some have argued right. for. Sure. Right. So, no, you know, we're not doing that. Right. What we are doing, though, is in some cases— where if a child who was supposed to have been aborted and the mm-hmm. abortion uh, abortion was botched, it didn't work, child survives, right? then there are some uh, that have said, well, we want it to be legal just to go ahead and kill the child even if the child survives outside of the womb. Uh, so, you know, we haven't gone to the point of, of uh, going, you know, past the, the time of the birth uh, yet. Here's the good news. The good news is, that lately we have been seeing a number of major victories for pro-life groups, and we have been seeing uh, a number of politicians take a morally strong, ethical 
stand that shows they are a people of integrity by passing mm-hmm. some very strong pro-life laws. Now, you know, when you talked about convenience for some, that is certainly the case. And certainly it would be an evil for someone to say, well, I'm going to kill somebody so that that person does not inconvenience my life. Now, I recognize some don't realize, okay, well, what I'm killing is a person. But here's what I would like for people to think about. I, I would like for people to think in terms of this. Yes, it is the case that if you have a child, you're going to be spending money to take care of that child, money you could have used for something else. And yes, it is the case that you're going to be spending time and energy and effort to raise that child and time and energy and effort you could spend on something else. But I would really, really like for every mother to have the opportunity to understand the love and dedication of a mother for her child that comes from giving birth to that child, not and you can't have that when, when you kill the child. And so I know it's for convenience, and I understand that, that argument, but that is uh, that's no way legitimate. Some say, well, you know, give me a choice over my own body. Yeah. Well, you know, the choice came, obviously, when you engaged in the activity that led to the pregnancy. But in addition, consider this, it's not just your body. There's two bodies at that point. There's yours, and then there's the body of your baby. Yeah. And so it's, it's more than just you. Now, Now, because of a choice you made, you are responsible for two lives. Right. Well, another instance um, is people say, well, rape justifies mm-hmm. um, an abortion. Granted, I think I, I, the reason I, um, I, I know some of these statistics, I think, because um, actually if you go back, um, just a few weeks ago in my first season, I think it was episode 15. Um, I, I did a couple, I did a part one, a part two on abortion, but I think it, what is it? Less than 2% of, of all rapes end in an abortion. So first off that hardly ever happens, but second off when it does, um, I think we can all agree just because one horrible act happens, obviously we don't want anybody to be raped, but and we know that it, that it happens. But just because that horrible act happened doesn't mean that you can now then and go do something horrible yourself just because of that one sin doesn't justify another sin. Uh, I think we would all agree when we say that. Well, absolutely. I know that you have a lot of emotions involved in a situation like that. Right. Uh, Rape is just a horrible, horrible crime. It's a terrible situation. It's a miserable, miserably wicked thing to do to someone else. And I, I can't fully fathom, I suppose the kind of anguish that a person would go through if that's been done to them. Right. At the same time, they need to recognize the value of the life that that has come from that act. And if it's hard for them to raise that child, then they need to put the child up for adoption. Sure. In your situation, your your birth mother could not afford to raise you. Uh, She was living in a country, South Korea, where... The child of an unwed uh, a couple would receive all of the stigma, have all of the problems. There would be uh, educational situations against him. Uh, there would be uh, employment situations against him. And so 
as far as we can tell, she had an affair with a uh, with a married man, and he never knew what happened that he impregnated her. But her choice was try to keep the baby, you, but she couldn't afford to do so, and she would be in a country where you would be hurt because of that situation, or she could have had an abortion. Now, in South Korea, if I understand the laws correctly, it's not legal. But I've looked at various uh, sites that have said, despite that fact, uh, there are an estimated 300,000 is the low mark to 600,000 abortions every year in South Korea. And many of those doctors involved in, even though it's illegal. So she could have chosen that option and she didn't do it. Instead, she chose to to send her child to an American family that could take care of her. You know, the way we view it is this. Uh, God answered the prayers of my wife and I. We were praying for a son. And God could have brought us a son through my wife and I having the child together. But God chose to bring us a son through adoption. And I will tell you this. The love that you have for an adopted child is no less than the love you have for a birth child because we have two birth children we have, and we have an adopted child, and, and the love is the same. And uh, you, you just adore your child whether you, you adopt them or not, and there's a certain beauty to the adoption that comes from the fact that uh, a life was spared and a life was looked after both by the birth mother, the adoptive parents, and by God's providence. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate you clarifying, you know, what we were talking about earlier, because obviously we're not there yet. I should have made sure to make the statement, I fear that eventually that is where we're going to be. If if some of our you know, arguments and morality does not get back to the right, you know, portion of God's word and, and the understanding of the sanctity of human life, right. that we will get to that point. And I thought it was interesting. We talked about the idea of mothers not wanting their children well, I, I looked up, I was just curious, and I asked, what, what is the average cost of a car per year? And uh, the studies that I found showed 9282 you know, $9,282 or $8,400 a year. That does not include gas, to my knowledge, that you pay to put into the vehicle. It does not include, you know, maybe if you need to update your tires or anything of that nature. That's, that's just, you know, monthly maintenance to your vehicle plus your car payment. And it might even just be your car payment a year, depending on how the study works out. When you buy a car, you understand you're getting more than just a car. As far as your monthly payment is not all you have to pay on that vehicle. You understand you're going to have to go get gas. You're going to have to go and maybe the windshield wipers need to be replaced. That's sometimes 20 bucks a wiper. And you have all of these added costs. And yet so many people understand, well, I need a car. I got to go from point A to point B they'll treat their car with more respect and spend more money than they'd be willing to spend on a child. And yet the sad thing is what we're talking about here is so many people want to play adult without actually having the consequences to deal with. And I can get a car and understand I got to pay for it. But if I want to, and, and let's just be honest, we, we know how babies are made. And if I want to do that, I have to be prepared for that risk. And that's one of the reasons why God was so clear in saying that you should be married to do these things. Because if you're married and you have a child, what do you have? You have commitment. 
you have two people together and there's going to be a lot more, you know, ease of discussion about having a child than if you have two single people who are just playing house and playing family. And then when all of a sudden family is really introduced to their lives, they're not ready for it because they're not following God's plan. And that's why God has been so clear about avoiding certain things before marriage. Now, when we go to the other side, though, because as Caleb mentioned, this is an argument that has been very heavily contested, the idea of rape. I understand that it's a horrible act, and there's nothing that we can say that would take away from how wrong that action is. But why does the child get the blame for that? You know, in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. Chapter 18, 18, verse 20, the son shall not bear the guilt or the sin of the father, nor should the father bear the sin of the son. And so when we look at this child that was conceived in less than ideal circumstances, if we're going to be nice about it, why does that child deserve death for something that it didn't do, for something that it couldn't control? I mean, if the child could have chosen to not go that route, and know that I'm either going to live and die in abortion or I'm going to choose not to even be conceived, what child, if it knew everything about that, would choose to go the route of death? And so the child doesn't know what's going on. The child doesn't understand. And yet for so many people, it's like we talked about. It's it's become a matter of convenience because either they don't want to look at the child that might resemble the man that hurt them or they weren't ready for a child and this man took away something from them anyway. And so they need to get back to their own life, and it's a therapeutic thing, some people even say. It's a way to, to kind of get back and take control and get power back or whatever it is. But the sad truth is there's still a child in this scenario that has done nothing wrong that is being willingly tortured and put to death. And so we, we talk about the world's view of abortion, and it's very pro-abortion, if we're honest, for a lot of places at least, especially we talk about the state side. It's incredibly pro in a lot of places. How do we change the world's view on abortion, Kevin? How do we get people to see the sanctity of human life? I know that lady, the doctor you mentioned, that once she finally saw just how horrible and just how much torture was involved in, a, in an abortion, she immediately changed. Many people don't want to see that stuff, and they won't, they won't look at it even if you try to get them to see it because it's a plausible deniability thing. I can just deny that it's, it's a bad thing, and I can still support it. So how does the church get people to see that this isn't us posturing. This is a serious matter. This is a real big problem, and children are dying, and they should be allowed to live. Well, we need to accept the fact that the child within the womb is a person, is a child, is a baby. In Luke chapter 1, verse 44, the Bible refers to John while he's still within the womb of the mother, while he is not yet fully formed as a babe or a baby, a child, a person. So one is considered by God then to be a person before they're fully formed, and even while while, uh, still in the womb. Every Christian ought to accept that. There should never be a question over that with regard to Christians. Those that don't accept God and don't accept the Bible are probably not going to accept many of the arguments against abortion anyway because their anti-God, anti-Christian approach is often what spurs evils such as abortion. 
However, you can go to them then with the arguments regarding life beginning at conception, and there are various doctors that will support that and, and back that up, but that is a big key, a big issue. But here's what we need to do. We need to make sure that members of the Lord's Church understand what abortion is, they understand human life in the womb, and they need to understand that in this country, at least, we have the freedom to vote for pro-life candidates. In addition, we need to recognize the importance of being willing to step in and help, uh, step in and adopt uh, when that is made available. Uh, step in and do what you can maybe with some of the uh, pro-life centers that will help mothers who have decided, I'll keep the baby or I'll adopt the baby. I won't abort the baby, but I need help. And there are places and organizations that do that. Christians could get involved in those kinds of things without any problem at all. But to change the world, we need to emphasize to, to the world that we have a message from God that is a message of peace. It's a message of love. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of kindness. And God has the answer to your problems. And if your your problem is you've gotten yourself into a situation where you're pregnant and you don't know how you're going to support that baby, then God has the answers for you. There are people that are help. Have the child do what's right. Either adopt a child out or find those people that will help you with that child. But we've got to show people the kindness and love of God. And if, if individuals have been involved in an abortion, then let's let them know God loves them. There's forgiveness for them too. So there has to be a kindness to this. There has to be an effort and understanding. And the kindness and understanding never compromises the truth on the matter. And yet we have to be compassionate. If we're the kind of people that want to uh, go around and and yelling and, and screaming and spitting in the face of those that oppose us, then we're going to have the opposite result of what we want. We have got to be kind. We have got to be gentle, but firm and stand against this evil. It's unfortunate. I, I know what you said is, is needs to be talked about because we can go too far in our hatred of the sin, not the sinner, in our preaching on this, that we can almost make someone feel like if they've done this, it's the unpardonable sin. And there's no way God could ever forgive them for this. There's no way that they could ever be back in a covenant relationship with God. And of course, that's never what we want to tell people. We, we know that sin is sin, whether you, you know, whether you commit a sin of lying or you commit the sin of murder, God looks at sin as sin and, it, and either sin could keep someone from heaven. And so if I can be forgiven as a liar and Paul himself in the Bible can be forgiven as a murderer, so could a woman who made a, a bad decision based on maybe, like Kevin said, uh, incorrect information. Uh, the, the information that's been peddled for the last several decades now is that it's just tissue. It's a glob of, of tissue, and it's not yet fully formed, and therefore it's not a human life. Or maybe it's because they willingly knew better. Or they knew better, but they still willingly went through with it because of convenience. You know, the, the, both of those can happen. But the, the thing that we have to remember is, is just like he said, we can teach people a better way and teach them the way that the Lord wants it to be. And we talk about the world's view on abortion or even our country's view on abortion. I, I do think that I'd like to just make this statement as a one-off, and y'all can comment on, if, on it if you want. But how can we as Christians ever 
vote for a candidate that openly says they want more of this. Not that maybe they said something and then they got elected and they decided, well, I'm going to take back what I said and now I am pro-abortion. But how could we as Christians ever stomach casting our vote for someone like that, even if their policies on another, a lot of other places were decent for people who are already living, they're still deciding to take people's lives into their own hands. They're, they're saying, I want it to be done this way, and I want children to continue to be killed. And I just don't know how any Christian could stomach doing that. And, and like I said, if y'all want to talk about that, you're welcome to. I just thought I'd mention that because that's becoming a very big problem in our, in our country today is people are voting for men or women, whatever it may be, in small elections and large elections that are saying we are okay doing this and we would like to see more of it. And when you ask them why they did that, they see no problem with it. Well, this is a deep subject and there are many levels here. And I say that to indicate this. When you have someone that is running for office, that is strongly promoting abortion as a major part of their platform, what you have is someone who is going to be anti-God, anti-Christian, does not understand proper uh, ethics, morality, and integrity, and this is going to be just the tip of the iceberg. Right. And typically when you have that situation, you have a worldview attached to it, a philosophical and political worldview that would ultimately see the end of Christianity. So it's it's not just abortion. Abortion would be, I guess you could put it this way, one of the symptoms of a bigger problem. But if someone is strongly pushing a pro-choice, which is a pro-abortion stand, then we're not going to have problems with them just on that issue. We're going to have other moral questions right. about the way they want to rule in their position. Right. Wait, and maybe this is a, I don't, I don't know if maybe this is some, uh, somewhat of a, some of a, uh, I'll get my words out here in just a minute. This may be somewhat of a misapplication. Um, but I think about Romans one there and we're Paul there at the end of the chapter lists that giant list of sins. And then verse 32, he says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things, talking about the things he just mentioned, are deserving of death. But then he says this, and I think this is so interesting. He says, not only do the same, but also what? Approve, Approve of those who practice them. And so, and I, this maybe this is opening up some kind of can of worms here, but in, I, f- I feel like when, when you vote for somebody, you are approving of the things that they are doing, right? And so would this not fall under that in the sense of, you know, if I'm voting for this person, then I'm approving of what they're doing. Therefore, I'm saying it's, it's okay. Well, I think you bring up an excellent point. You know, in Romans chapter 1, we see this. Sin, all sin, deserves the wrath of God, verse 18, right. which culminates in death, verse 32. So that's what we're going to get. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Romans is saying, here's the bleak side of sin. This is what you deserve when you sin because of who God is and how holy he is. Now, God has made a way out despite that, and that's right. the book of Romans. So 
in that context, he is talking about individuals, for example, that are unloving, and certainly abortion is an unloving action. Uh, and then in verse 32, he would indicate then that even encouraging those who engage in the sin would be wrong, and that's certainly the case. And we don't want to be guilty of encouraging anyone to have an abortion. We don't want to be guilty of supporting anyone that is going to make laws that will promote and further uh, encourage and advance the evil of abortion. I do believe in this country we are making gains. I do believe this may well be a battle that the right side can win. We'll see. Time will tell. But I think it's possible that we can change the the way people look at this. And one of the things that's helped is uh, the modern ultrasounds, the 3D ultrasounds. Because you can get a better look at the baby and you realize, you know what, that is a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to kill my baby. You know, and even if it's a situation where there's a rape and you realize that is a baby, you've got the emotions of the mother to consider. You've got to uh, be understanding to the best of your ability of the fact that any child may just be a constant reminder of that terrible pain and yet encourage that mother, if you believe that's going to be the case, don't kill the baby, but allow that baby to be adopted by a family. I will tell you this, too, that there are many, many families that are wanting to adopt babies, and in many cases it's just hard for them to do so. And so if all of these babies that were being aborted were sent out for adoption, there'd be homes for them. You know, we think about the idea of we're making gains. I do agree. I think we're making good strides. Unfortunately, I know all three of us would agree with this, that there is no magic pill. There is no magic snap that I can do that will stop abortion 100% because it's a sin. And I've never known of any sin to be eradicated in the world's time. The argument that I've heard people making lately that they're going after and and trying to really latch onto that are usually of the belief politically that abortion's fine is that even when some of these laws have been passed to stop abortions, the numbers have not stopped. And what I have told those individuals when I've talked to them, I'd love to hear your your opinion on this as well, Brother Kevin. If we say that murder is illegal, we know that murder is still going to happen in our country. We know that it will still happen in this world. The question is, how much do you value one person's life being saved? We know from a Bible perspective, one soul's worth the whole world. And so just having one less abortion a year to Christians is a massive victory because that's one more life. We, we think about Caleb, and we think about the fact that Caleb's been able to grow in a good Christian home. He went to preaching school. He got a job as a minister. He helps on the Scattered Abroad Network greatly, helps me. And to think about all that would be missing in our lives, yours and mine, Kevin, from a perspective of having known Caleb, having the privilege of knowing him, that one person being able to be born has made such a big difference. And so I've told individuals that I think you're looking for a quantity versus quality argument here. We're never going to be able to, to make a, a bill pass into law that will 100% eradicate any type of sin. However, if, if let's say 10 people a year don't have an abortion that would have had it, I consider that to be progress. I think you would as well. 
I consider that to be better than those 10 people being allowed to go and do it. And the 20 people that might try to negate the law and go around the back alleyways and do corner. I can't force them. I can't find everybody. But what I'm trying to do as a Christian is saying, how can I get it to be as least as possible committed in our country? And I know Chicago has quite a lot of, of a high mortality rate. And I've told individuals that I bet you want Chicago to be better than it is right now. If I told you that five people a month less would be killed in Chicago, would you consider that to be progress? They always say yes. I say, well, then why is an abortion seen in the same light by you? What do you have to say on that, Kevin? What would you add to that? Well, you've touched on at least a couple of issues here. Uh, let me give this example. Uh, we all believe that aggravated assault is a horrible crime. Let's suppose that we say, well, you know people are going to do it anyway, so let's just make it legal. Right. <laughs> you know, that doesn't make any sense. Right. The reality is if it's wrong, if it involves murder, assault, right. things such as that, then you want it to be illegal even if some people are going to continue to do it because you want to to cut back on how much is done. You want to show by punishment that uh, – because this is against the law, you're going to do jail time. Right. Then you're going to be maybe receiving a deterrent from that idea. So that's that's that argument just doesn't make any sense. Right. People say, well, they're just going to do it anyway. Well, if it's wrong, it's wrong whether they do it or not. The other the other thing that you kind of hinted at and that needs to be taken into consideration here is uh, the value of human life. Now, I'm here for the Truth and Love lectures, and tomorrow night. The topics that's been assigned to me is uh, that we should uh, never take life for granted. And in that sermon, I'm going to emphasize the value of each individual human life. When we're talking about human life, we're talking about a gift from God. We're talking about that which God created. In addition, I don't believe even some Christians fully grasp and understand, maybe none of us fully, how valuable each life is. Every life is individual. Every life is unique. There's not another you, never has been, never will be. Every life is valuable from that standpoint. Every life is valuable because human life involves human soul. Human soul is that for which Jesus Christ died, gave his blood. What's his blood worth? That's what a soul is worth. Uh, human life and human souls are worth more than we can even begin to imagine. And then you have all the intricacies of an individual person with the experiences that they will have and the personalities that they have. And just from that very fact alone, when we look at the, the unique nature of each individual, we must recognize that we have something here in every person that is of such a value that uh, you could take all of the, the wealth of the world and put it next to them and be able to say, no, that person is more valuable than all that wealth. Their life is more valuable, and their soul is more valuable. No, absolutely. You know, We're talking about changing the world's view on abortion. And I, one of the things we've touched on already is this idea of um, just ignorance, simply not knowing what an abortion is. And you, talk, you brought up um, Abby Johnson and the, the woman behind the unplanned book and the movie. Um, and I remember her story is that she didn't really, like, I guess she knew what it was, 
but it didn't like hit her until she actually saw it. And um, some of you may have heard of Doctor Anthony Levitino, but he um, I, he's kind of famous for his for um, an interview. Not necessarily an interview. He was in um, he 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 used to be um, an abortion doctor. He performed hundreds of thousands of abortions, um, but now he has flipped and he is currently fighting to get abortion outlawed. Um, and, I, and I actually want I want to play this clip um, on YouTube of him talking about abortion, because again, it's one of those things that people, I guess, just don't really know what it is. They're ignorant as to what exactly goes on in in an abortion. And I want to play this um, for our audience to listen to. Um, And I'm also doing this on the fly. So if this actually, this this doesn't come through, then, then we'll figure out where to go from here. But let me play this here and make sure it works. Thank you, chairman and members of the committee. Um, I only have five minutes, so I'm going to get right to it. Second trimester D&E abortions perform between roughly 14 and 24 weeks of gestation. Your patient today is 17 years old. She's 22 weeks pregnant. Her baby is the length of your hand plus a couple of inches. And she's been feeling her baby kick for the last several weeks, but she's asleep on an operating room table. You walk into that operating room scrubbed and gowned, and after removing laminaria, you introduce a suction catheter into the uterus. This is a 14 French suction catheter. If she were 12 weeks pregnant or less, basically the width of your hand or smaller, you could basically do the entire procedure with this. But babies this big don't fit through catheters this size. After suctioning the amniotic fluid out from around the baby, you introduce an instrument called a sofa clamp. It's about 13 inches long. It's made of stainless steel. The business end of this clamp is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide. There are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument. When it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. A DNA procedure is a blind abortion, so picture yourself introducing this and grabbing anything you can blindly and pull, and I do mean hard, and out pops a leg about that big, which you put down on the table next to you. Reach in again, pull again, pull out an arm about the same length, which you put down on the table next to you, and use this instrument again and again to tear out the spine, the intestines, the heart and lungs. Head in the baby that size is about the size of a large plum, can't see it, but you pretty good idea you've got it if you've got your instrument around something and your fingers are spread about as far as they go. You know you did it right if you crush down on the instrument and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you could pull out skull pieces. And you have a day like I had a lot of times, sometimes a little face comes back and stares back at you. Congratulations, you just successfully performed a second trimester DNA abortion. You just affirmed her right to choose. Why did you end your practice of doing abortions? I did over 1,200 abortions over a four-year period in private practice, not counting the ones that I did during my training. Um, I met my wife at, um, during my first year of training at Albany Medical Center. We got married about a year later and found that we had an infertility problem. After years of failed infertility treatment and several years trying to adopt a child, we were blessed with adopting a, a little girl that we named Heather. And, August of 1978, Um, as sometimes happens in those situations, my wife got pregnant the very next month, and we had two children 10 months apart. Um, Two months short of my daughter Heather's sixth birthday, she was killed in an auto accident and literally died in her arms in the back of an ambulance. Anyone who has children might think they have some idea of what that feels like, but unless you've been through it yourself, you have no idea whatsoever. I know people find it hard to believe, but uh, what do you do after disaster? You bury your child and then you go back to your life. And I don't remember exactly how long it was after my daughter died that I showed up at 
Albany Medical Center OR number nine to perform my first second trimester DNE abortion. I wasn't thinking of it as anything special. This was routine to me. Um, but I reached in, literally pulled out an arm or leg and got sick. You know, earlier on, I described stacking up body parts on the side of the table. It's not to you know, gross people out, to use a simple term. When you do an, an abortion, you need to keep inventory. You have to make sure you get two arms and two legs and all the pieces. If you don't, your patient's going to come back infected, bleeding, or dead. Um, so I soldiered on and finished that abortion. And I know it sounds, as I said, hard for people to believe, but I'm, I'm telling you straight up my experience. You know, after over 1,200 abortions, first and second trimester, up to 24 weeks, and all the rest of it, and being very dedicated to it, for the first time in my life, I really looked. I really looked at that pile of body parts on the side of the table. And I didn't see her wonderful right to choose, and I didn't see all the money I just made. All I could see was somebody's son or daughter. So obviously, something like that's, you know, difficult to listen to, but it goes, I think, with this idea of people are just uneducated. So, and I know this was not one of the questions, but let me ask you this, Dad. How do we go about educating people as to what an abortion truly is? Because there's a lot of people in our world who don't know what that is. And it's not like you can say all of that in a Sunday sermon very right. easily <laughs> So, how do, because yeah. of the mixed audience exactly. of children. Well, what you need to do is look for opportunities to discuss these things with people in the right setting. Uh, that is obviously not information you want to give to a small child. Right. And we recognize that. Uh, if you're going to be talking about the subject of abortion and you do talk about what it actually is, you will find, even if you've chosen an audience that's all adults, you will find people angry with you for telling them what it is. That's the reality of it. Uh, some years ago, I wrote a bulletin article. You started out by saying, don't let your kids read this. Yeah. And I, and I described, uh, if I remember right, four or five different abortion methods. And I caught flack from that from individuals that said they were opposed to abortion. But the reality is you still have people in the Lord's church that don't really understand what abortion is and they need to know. You also have situations where you're going to need to educate people outside the church. And so when you have opportunities to talk to people, do it with kindness and gentleness and love. But sometimes you have to give the information. Be careful. Be wise. Choose how much you give and in what situation you give it. But it is sometimes the case that people cannot understand how wicked it really is until they receive a description like that. Mm -hmm. And the description the doctor just gave uh, is, um, is graphic and it is emotional, but sometimes that is what is needed before people realize what's going on here. Right. I, yeah. wa I wonder how many doctors have defected, if you will. Uh, we know of two. We know of the one we just listened to right. and, and the one that we mentioned at the beginning that have that have left that side of the aisle, so to speak. But I wonder how many there are, and I wonder if we're going to see an uptick in that, and and more people seeing, as you mentioned, brother Kevin, the the 3D ultrasounds have have really helped kind of debunk some of the mentality on this that that is a baby, that is a human being. I wonder if we'll start to see more and more because one of the one of the beautiful things that that we alluded to with that argument is 
technology is a blessing and a curse. <laughs> it's a blessing for those that enjoy it, but it can be a curse for a lot of reasons. Number one, it can be a curse if you don't know how to use it, right? It's, it's not good for you, but mm-hmm. it can also destroy certain things such as an argument that that's not a baby. Well, this technology shows you that it is. And this technology is an advancement that we've made. And I believe we'll have more medical advancements come about that are designed to help with pregnant people, pregnant women that can showcase the child in all of its form and glory and the best as it can. And we might even be able to have more and more arguments against abortion than we've even had previously and better medical science and data that supports our view from the Bible, because I know one of the hard arguments, and and this isn't one of the questions either, but I'd like to talk about it. The hard argument for a lot of people is if they don't believe the Bible, it makes no difference for us to quote Proverbs 6 to them and, and show them that God hates hands that shed innocent blood because to them, God isn't real. And so from a science perspective, we have to answer abortion scientifically as well and prove that it is a true human being. So other than scripture, do you know of any any studies or anything that you might want to point people to? I know that video that we watched was excellent. Do you know of anything that you would try to kind of steer people towards first as you're trying to get them to see the science side before we get to the biblical side? Well, I would definitely encourage people to read the book Unplanned by Abigail Johnson because her perspective is from an individual who was convinced that her work in a Planned Parenthood clinic was a good, compassionate work, Mm -hmm. and that she was helping women as she did this. So her motives were good. See that? See, see, here's a person involved in the industry, and the motives are good. Part of it was ignorance that caused her to be able to do this for a while, but then when she very graphically realized what it was in, in witnessing an abortion take place, then it, it sunk in, and she realized just how, how wicked this is and what it really is. And so there are going to be situations where you need to show people things such as that. Look, this woman worked for Planned Parenthood. Put, uh, Planned Parenthood, read this book. Look at her perspective, and, uh, and that can help people. Anytime there is genuine a scientific discovery, genuine scientific evidence presented uh, without the lies, without the fakery of people with agendas, it advances the cause of truth. And anytime we understand more about the science of life, we're going to respect more that human life. No doubt. You know, we, we obviously this is... Um not, I guess, the happiest of, of episodes that we've ever had on the podcast before. But one of the beautiful things about it is, like we've talked in kind of the whole um, beginning of, of this uh, subject, is this idea of adoption. And that's kind of how we came to uh, the, the, the talking about these kinds of things. And, you know, when we talk about adoption, um, the family transition, I think, sometimes can be kind of difficult. I, I know for, for some people and in some situations, um, more difficult than others, but it certainly can provide challenges um, for, for different families and for different individuals like parents, siblings, the child itself, um, et cetera. How did you make that as easy as possible for everybody involved? Because obviously, obviously it, it's the child it looks different. Um, it, it maybe talks different, it, different things like that. Obviously, it's not 
blood relation. And I think that's evident. So how do you get past those kinds of things and make that transition as easy and as smooth as possible for, for everybody? Well, we had a situation where we already had a birth child, a birth daughter. And let's see, she would have been, I suppose, about four years old uh, when you came home. And so in preparation for that, we hid nothing from her. We told her what we were doing, what we were doing every step of the way. We explained to her that she was going to have a brother, which she wanted. And this was the way that we were going to bring a brother into our home for her. In addition, the adoption agency that we were working through had some of their own materials that were helpful. They had uh, large coloring books that we could use for our daughter, and those coloring books depicted an adoption and showed some of the things that were involved in adoption and helped to get her excited about it. And so we just talked to her a lot about it, told her what was happening, and when we went to pick you up at the airport, we explained to her everything that was going on, and uh, she was she was absolutely excited. Uh, I'm sorry. So, you know, you, you do make plans, and you do make preparation to, uh, to have whatever children you may already have in the home uh, be ready for this. Uh, in addition, you understand that if you've never adopted before, there are going to be some things you have to learn. You don't know exactly how this is going to work out. But I will tell you this. Here, here's the key. The key is this. If you really, really love God, if you really, really live for God, then adoption will work in your family. When it's done, you know, I know there's many different circumstances. I understand that. And, uh, but when you adopt a baby into your family, you can make it work because you love that child. You can make it work because you love your other children and you love them the same. You can make it work because you and your wife are on the same page and you're working together. And, and the whole goal of it is ultimately to raise your children in such a way that you, you point them in the direction of heaven. Meanwhile, I guess the selfish end of it is, you know, you want that you want that child to lo- love you, and, <laughs> and you know, part of the the joy of uh, of being a a father or a mother is uh, the love that you receive from the child. Uh, but yeah, you do you do have to be very very open with uh, if you have other children and just explain to them here's what we're doing. Right, and that's not to say that you know, there will be difficulties or hurdles or things like that that you have to jump through because, and I'm sure that there were um, along the way because it's not like a a perfect process in the sense that it'll be, you know, as smooth as butter and nothing's going to go wrong. Um, But I know at least from my end, you know, I never once questioned, you know, the love that my parents had for me uh, or the love that my siblings had for me. I never once questioned or thought it was, um, you know, it sounds funny. I, the only thing I really just remember thinking was that I just, I looked different, you know, <laughs> but, and, but that was it. And because that was, that was the way I, I, I felt. And that was the way that, that was showed towards me in just the sense of I was part of the family. And I attribute that to the, the love and the faithfulness that was centered around God. And like you said, if you put God at the center and the focus of the home, then it will work because obviously God has that design for the family. 
And regardless of whether or not that child is biological or through adoption, that love is still there. Um, and, and hopefully it's reciprocal between um, the parent and the child. Um, so no doubt. Um, I, I'm obviously, I'm certainly blessed. I know that. Um, and I can see um, the, the providential care that God has had over our family because of where I'm at today. Like Michael said, you know, I'm in a position now where I probably never would have ever been able to be in had it not been, you know, for the adoption process. Well, you know, in our situation, we, we just are blessed in so many ways and we can be thankful to God for it and, and all the glory is his. And in, and in his providence, he answered our prayers and he gave us a son. Sure. And he created you for us and created us for you. And, and I have absolutely no doubts about that. Uh, I will say it was to our advantage that you were only six months old when you came into our family. And I will say that uh, in your situation, you were in an orphanage for one month after you were born and then five months in a foster family home in South Korea. All the information we could receive about the foster family and communication we had uh, with Korea, South Korea was indicating that the foster family was a good, solid family, mom and dad, little boy, little girl, who took very good care of you uh, up until you were six months old, at which point you came to the United States. Uh, so uh, adopting earlier is helpful. I know there are those that want to adopt children that are older, and I think that's fantastic. I think that's wonderful. It's noble. It's honorable. And that needs to be done, and we need families that can do that. But I will say this. I do believe that there are some situations with adoption that are going to bring in a lot more difficulty than perhaps what we saw. Sure. And I do believe that there are families, I know families, that have brought in children maybe who are older, children who have come from situations where they receive no kindness and love, children who have come into their homes and have not been able to adjust to that and haven't adjusted well. And even while the adoptive parents are acting out of great compassion and love, there are times when those adoptive children uh, end up breaking their hearts in some respects. So I, I won't say that it's without risk, but what we're talking about in that situation usually are older children. Uh, but I'm, but I don't want to discourage somebody from doing that. But I, we do re need to recognize, you know, that in some situations it is going to be difficult. Now, we're talking about abortion, so obviously we're talking about babies, and, and so we're grateful for the fact that we were able to adopt you as a baby into our home and simply following God's principles regarding the home, uh, loving you like we do. Uh, we did our, our daughter, preparing our daughter for you to come into the home. Uh, all of that uh, made, a, made a very big difference, I believe, in all of it working out. No doubt. I remember uh, we, we've been talking about Abby Johnson a lot in this episode, and uh, they made a movie called Unplanned as well, based on that book and her story. And I remember I was thinking while we were doing this, that there was a, a ton of controversy behind that yeah. movie. So I looked it up again because I remembered the rating. Do you do y'all remember the rating of this movie? It was rated, it's rated R. R. And that was a huge issue. In fact, I'm, I'm just going to read for, for the listeners this article here uh, by The Hollywood Reporter. It was published on February 22nd of 2019, and we'll link it in the show notes. But Paul Bond wrote the following... PureFlix Entertainment, the family-friendly label known for distributing God's Not Dead and a few dozen other movies aimed at Christians, will release its first R-rated film next month, and it is none too happy about having to do so. 
The film, Unplanned, tells the true story of Abby Johnson, who defected from Planned Parenthood to become a pro-life activist. While the filmmakers were certain they were making a PG-13 film, the MPAA has informed them that it will, in fact, be rated R unless all scenes of abortions are removed or altered. The filmmakers are refusing to change anything, putting Pure Flix in the awkward position of having to open an R-rated movie on March 29th. The company's other releases, roughly two dozen, have all been rated G, PG, or PG-13. A 15-year-old girl can get an abortion without her parents' permission, but she can't see this movie without adult supervision? That's sad, said Ken Rather, Executive VP Distribution for Pure Flix. The situation prompted the filmmakers to fire off a letter of complaint to MPAA CEO Charles Rivkin, and we consider the MPAA's current standards to be deeply flawed insofar as they allow scenes of remarkably graphic sex, violence, degradation, murder, and mayhem to have a PG-13 rating, whereas our film, highlighting the grave dangers of abortion in a straightforward manner, is considered dangerous for the American people to view, wrote Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman, the co-writers and co-directors of Unplanned. PureFlix says not only will it not alter the film to get a PG-13 rating, but it also won't officially appeal the decision as it worries it would delay its distribution efforts to have the movie's rating up in limbo. Also, appeals are historically a long shot. In 2017, for example, the MPAA rated 563 movies. Five were appealed and only one was changed, that being Clint Eastwood's movie uh, 1517 to Paris, which originally was rated R, but then an appeal brought it down to PG-13. The MPAA says the R rating on Unplanned was for some disturbing slash bloody images and was in no way politically motivated. Its process involves a ratings board of about 10 people from all walks of life, all of whom have children, voting and debating until they come to a majority agreement. Any film submitter who objects to the given rating can choose to go through the appeals process, and to date, the distributor has chosen not to do so. Our rules provide a detailed timeline of the appeals process, and there was sufficient time for it to be completed in advance of the film's March 29th release. The MPAA told PureFlix that, the most problematic scene featured a doctor gazing at a computer screen that shows the image of a fetus as the abortion is completed. The doctor in the scene is real-life doctor Anthony Le- How do you say his name? <laughs> Levitino. Levitino, <laughs> who says he has performed about 1,200 abortions over the years. The portrayal of a live, moving fetus disappearing is very accurate, he said. You're watching an abortion. It is an accurate view of what's happening. It's disturbing if you recognize it as a human life. And Solomon added, we have three scenes in the film which directly address abortion, and the MPAA objected to all three. They specifically made mention of objection to grainy black and white sonogram images that were part of one of the scenes. It was clear that any meaningful treatment of the issue was going to be objectionable. The MPAA's ratings board changes often, making it tough to predict its sensibilities on controversial social issues. In 1996, for example, it gave an R rating to If These Walls Could Talk, due to realistic depiction of abortions, a graphic shooting, and some language. But for Unplanned, the MPAA doesn't mention realistic depiction of abortions as being a cause for the restrictive rating, and there's no profane language, nudity, violence, drug abuse, or anything else that moviegoers typically associate with the R rating. This story needs to be told, and the message needed to be delivered. Purefix President Michael Scott said, It is our calling as Christians to tell the story about the moral implications of abortion, that the mainstream media refuses to acknowledge. And I find it interesting that so many people can go and get an abortion done, but the MPAA admits that an abortion is disturbing. 
that seeing an abortion is a disturbing thing that you should not be subjected to, and yet we can do it. Right. We can have it done in our, in our country, and that's one of those things where what they intended backfired on them, I think. They intended to try to block this movie, but I remember it gained a ton of traction because of this. It was a successful movie to my knowledge. In fact, the, uh, the critics even on Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 42%. But the audience gave it upwards of uh, around 80 to 90 percent, I believe, if I remember looking at the numbers correctly. And that's the the whole purpose of, of our discussion today is talking about the, the sanctity of life. And Brother Kevin loves Caleb. And I know Caleb loves Kevin. And I know that the lives that they've been able to share together as father and son are so special and they'll continue to be special. And And to think about it. Kevin, we know that there could be someone listening to this. We don't know it for sure, but it's possible that maybe somebody's listening to this and they've heard all of us discuss it and maybe they're they're dealing with this back and forth battle of do I do this? Do I have an abortion or do I not? What what can we say to them as a, a final plea to try to get them to not make that decision and, and know that they don't have to go down that path? Well, I would say to them, we want you to love your baby. And I would say to them, this is a child, this is a human being, this is a person, and this is your child. And we want you to love him or her. And if you love him or her, but you can't take care of that child, then either seek help in taking care of the child or allow a family who wants to do that take care of your child. And I know there are different ways of doing that, that, and there are various programs across the country that will help you do that. Uh, but many of the programs now even allow the mother to go through a book and look at families, see pictures of them, read about their family, their likes and dislikes, their hobbies, things like that, and, and decide from that book, I'm interested in this family having my child. And so you can even have some choice over what family they go into. But understand this, whether you can raise the child or not, the life of that child is so precious, is so valuable. That child is is beautiful in ways we cannot fully fathom. One thing to consider is this. When children are born, they are born in the perfection of innocence. They have not sinned. They have not had opportunity to sin. Sin is not passed on from one generation to another, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20. Mm -hmm. And so what you have in, in children is the perfection of innocence. And what you have in a baby is the glorious beauty of God's creation of life, God's creation of, of people in an, in an innocent state as they start out life. And even as that child is in the womb, you see there in the womb that innocence. You see there in the womb the beauty of, of that creation, the intricacy of life, and all the ways in which life is so uniquely valuable. That individual in your womb is loved dearly by God, and we want you to love them too. And if you can't take care of that child, then seek help, but do not kill the child. Well, and you mentioned that child is, is, is loved, but also that, that woman is loved yes. um, so much by God because God sent his son to die for her just as much as 
Jesus died for us. Yes. Um, she is as precious and as valuable um, as any other soul out there. And so I think that's such an important message that needs to be taught um, because I'm afraid that for, for years and years, it's been one of those things where the church has taught the right message, but maybe not in the right way in the sense of it's been like Michael talked about, it's been hateful in some sense. It's been um, derogatory and like in a sense of kind of put down type of attitude. Um, so I think it's so important for people to know that God loves you and we love you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. Um, and there is so much purpose and value in you and your life, but also not only for you, but then for that unborn child as well. And I think it's so important that we get that message across uh, to the people in our world today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we could take it a step further too, and we need to recognize the value of the lives of the abortion providers. Sure, no doubt. And we also would seek any opportunity to show the abortion providers the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's right. Which is forgiveness. Sure. Which is the burden of guilt lifted which is eternal life, which is such a beautiful message of peace and love and kindness and compassion. And so anytime we stand against sin, we need to do so without compromise, while at the same time doing so for the purpose of saving souls in compassion and love. And so the way we do it is going to be affected by our recognition of the value of that individual. So we recognize the value of the lives and souls of the abortion providers, if they can change, and if we could help them to come to Christ, we would love to do so. We recognize the value of the life and soul of the mother. If we can help her in any way to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we would be glad to do that and bring her to Christ. And at the same time, as you've mentioned, always remembering, of course, still, that that little child has a soul, but even the life of that little child is of an immense value we cannot really even begin to to fully fathom. Sure, no doubt. I think about Psalm 139, verse 14, we will praise God. Why? Because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And how beautiful it is to know that in God's infinite wisdom, um, that the the way life is created and how it's here on this earth, what a beautiful picture, what a beautiful thought uh, that is. Um, Certainly a a good note, I guess, to kind of wrap this episode up. Uh, Michael, Dad, do you have any closing, any final thoughts here I want to add? I would like to say that uh, I I have known the Rutherford family my whole life, basically, and uh, sorry, ha- having yeah, right. <laughs> not as sorry as I no, um, but at, thinking about the the relationship that I have with this family, and now Caleb and I working basically every day, whether it's over text or email or whatever it may be, uh, I am thankful that this family really does uphold what the Bible teaches and was willing to open up their home. And I know there are, there are places, uh, a home for Jolie, that, that foundation right. and other things that are out there that right. they seek to help other families. And uh, we didn't touch on this much, I don't think. Maybe we did, and I just, I, I've zoned out or something. <laughs> but there are so many mothers out there that cannot have children. Right. And would love nothing more than to adopt a baby and be able to be a mother to a child. Right. And it's sad that there have been so many children that that right has been taken from them to have a mother because their mother didn't want them. And there are so many women out there that want nothing more than to be a mama to somebody. Sure. 
and to to have that familial bond with a child and a loved one and to implore people to think about the idea of how many women are out there and, and mothers and fathers to be that want children. And if we were to explore this more as far as the adoption instead of abortion, we could make more people mothers and fathers and give children more opportunities to flourish and grow. And, and you think about some of the people we've talked about throughout the, the podcast of people that didn't have an abortion that could have. And we know about your situation, Caleb, but we also know of, of other people that have done influential things and their parents had considered aborting them. And who knows the, the impact that can be made in our country and in our world if more children could be born. Who knows the types of accomplishments that might be had and done by these little children that are not giving a chance to live simply because mama and daddy or mama wasn't ready for them or they were severely hurt and therefore they decided to have an abortion. And it, it's, it's so important to remember the sanctity of life. That's what we've talked about this whole podcast, and that's what I want to end my comment with is the sanctity of life cannot be overlooked ever. No doubt. Well, I, I would like to say that the beauty of adoption can be seen in the fact that it is one of the illustrations used by God to help us to understand entrance into his family when we become Christians. Romans chapter 8 talks about that, and because we have that adoption into God's family, we don't have a spirit of fear. We know that God loves us. We know he's going to take care of us. We know there's an inheritance for us. We know that even if life becomes difficult, even because we are Christians, that ultimately God is going to provide for us. And Romans chapter 8 is all about the hope and confidence and we trust that we have in God that leads to that great glory that he's going to give us someday, all because we're in his family and the illustration of how we come into his family. In that case, is adoption. We have the new birth, of course. Sure, that's right. Three. Uh, but the fact that God would use that indicates the acceptability by him of adoption, but the beauty of it as well. And then consider James one twenty seven, when you're talking about taking care of, of the fatherless and widows, uh, and James says it's pure and undefiled religion, when you will make those efforts to take care of a child, then you are showing pure and undefiled religion. Whether it's to choose to allow the child to live rather than abort or whether it's to choose to adopt that child into your family, there's something pure yeah. and undefiled and just beautifully wonderful in all of that. That's right. No absolutely. Doubt. No, absolutely. Well, obviously this is somewhat of a kind of more difficult um, topic to, to think about and to talk about and to discuss, um, and yet how beautiful it is to know that kind of throughout this, we've talked about this idea of adoption and what a beautiful process that is, what a beautiful thing it is, um, and how grateful we are, you know, to live in a time now where something like that is so is so accessible that we can do things like that and we can hopefully help, uh, you know, rear kids who maybe wouldn't have a, a, a good home life or maybe wouldn't even be able to have have a life on this earth at all. Right. Um, to be able to help them in certain situations like that. So, Dad, thanks so much for being on the podcast, for offering a lot of insight and wisdom and kind of the story behind, uh, I guess, my adoption, um, kind of where we're at today. So thanks so much for being on the podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Well, appreciate you so much for listening to us and for uh, joining us for this Through the Rise podcast. Just as a reminder, we will link that YouTube video that we played uh, today in our show notes, as well as uh, the unplanned book, the unplanned movie, and the article that Michael uh, read 
did today in this podcast. All of that will be in our show notes below. So you can go and look at those things for yourself. I do encourage you, like dad said, go read that book, go watch that movie. Um, but just be prepared because it certainly is eye opening. It's shocking to know if you don't know. Um, and maybe if you're someone who's maybe a little bit um, uneducated in this area, I encourage you go educate yourself, go learn, go do all that you can to make sure that you know and understand just exactly what it is that we're fighting. And maybe, maybe that'll better equip you and perhaps maybe help you understand just a little bit more as to why this is such an important topic. But again, we're grateful that you've been with us. Don't forget as well as in our show notes below, we'll have all of our social media plugins, our email address. And also if you can remember to give us a rating or review whenever you have an opportunity to do so. Also don't forget this Thursday, dad'll be back with us for the, did that really happen podcast? Podcast. We're grateful that he's decided to do that with us um, as well, as well as all of our other uh, guests that we're going to be having over the course of the next few weeks. So again, thank you so much for being with us and we'll catch you on Thursday. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, You can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.